If I change anything, it could undo every sacrifice we've all made to stop the beast. Why don't you build a workshop full of time travel gadgets if you aren't willing to use them? The lesson that I've learned from a life of trying to change the past is, well, you almost always make things worse. Speaking of, where is my little volunteer tomato? <laughs> volunteer? Um... Quentin, my dear. He died saving me, saving everybody. Stiff upper lip, hey? Positively British of you. Someone's got to keep it together. Is that what you think you're doing? Back when Quentin first came to Fillory, in the very first timeline, he was running from grief. His best friend had died, tragically. Julia. You, a victim of your own vices. I was worried that I was taking advantage of him, of his sorrow. So the first change I made was to save you, to see if he would still answer Fillory's call. And he did. And then he died, 39 times. I'd hope this time would be different. It still could be. You saved him 39 times. Why not 40? Because he won. If you took away his sacrifice, you'd lose everything that it bought you. Your life and the lives of everyone around you. Same with your friends, Josh and... Is it Flynn? It was not. You have to let go of the past, Elliot. Let the dead stay dead. Time is a motherfucker, isn't it? Time is a motherfucker. Welcome back to Physical Kids Weekly. I'm Clara. And I'm Danny. And today we are talking about episode 502, The Wrath of the Time Bees, written by David Reed. And just as an aside, when I sat down to watch this episode, I remember thinking to myself, oh, I should check who wrote it, you know, so I can include it when we talk about the episode here. And within the first two minutes or so, there were, like, two different Star Trek Voyager references, and I immediately knew this was David, and I was not wrong. <laughs> um, I actually emailed him to tell him that, to be like, David, I knew this was your episode 30 seconds in, and he told me that Martin Rush, who is the DP for the episode, actually shot both of the Voyager episodes that little Gollum Quentin references. Which are... Not that I'll know what they are. <laughs> well, the first one is Waking Moments, and the second one is Non Sequitur. I, I checked with David, because I, I was pretty sure I knew about Waking Moments. But the second one, I was like, there are five different things this could be. Um, and he copped to that. He was like, yeah, I think I was mixing a few things, but Non Sequitur is what I meant. <laughs> That's good. Yeah, we're So <laughs> why don't you start us out with the recap? <laughs> <laughs> On it. This episode picks up where the last one left off, with Alice creating a golem of Quentin using his library book. But things don't quite go as planned, and she ends up creating a much younger version of Quentin than she bargained for. Julia helps her see that what she was looking for was closure, and while she'll never quite get what she wants, talking to the golem still might help her move on. Meanwhile, in Fillory, Elliot and Margot get into some timey-wimey shenanigans as they try to save Josh and Fenn, with mixed results. And in Brooklyn, things get dicey after Katie and Pete run into a pair of sleeper agents. A lot to cover, for sure. So, Danny, what did you think of the episode? I really liked this episode. It was one of those ones that's like the perfect blend of 
comedy and drama mm-hmm. that the magicians is so great at. There's <laughs> so many just hilarious lines in this episode, but also like the episode's called The Wrath of Time Bees, which is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, I love that you. So, for for folks listening at home, we didn't actually get the episode titles when we first got the episodes. They just normally we do, but this year they just said like five hundred one screener, five hundred two screener. So Danny texted me a couple days ago, and she was like, "The name of this episode is epic." <laughs> yeah, they finally added the names. <laughs> well, unfortunately, we got them on Instagram a little bit before too, so now we have them for the whole season. Yes. It's interesting that they're using that tactic of kind of promoing the crap out of the season. <laughs> interesting how? Like, just the way that they dropped, like, all of the the names of the episodes and, like, all these, like, you know, like, one-liners from uh, the season. Oh, yeah. Well, and today they announced that Fen is taking over the Magician Sci-Fi Instagram today when we're recording this um, to do a, like, Fen and Fillory series, which, of course, the first thing we see that's related to that is in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> yep. So I love what you said, and this was a really meaningful episode for for me, too. We talked last time about how, like, all of the crew are processing their grief in different ways. Mm -hmm. And I think it would have been really easy to do like a one-off tour. Like here's how, uh, like here's how Alice is coping. Here's how Elliot's coping. Here's how Margo's coping. Here's how Julia is coping. Here's how Katie's coping. And just like do it once and be done with it. But what I think this episode demonstrates is we're not going to be taking the easy way out this season. It goes deeper in that exploration of of grief and I really love that it's it's hard to watch sometimes but I think it's really good yeah it's it's really interesting I don't know it's like it's already getting to be like super emotional we're only two episodes in oh my god Um, yeah tears constantly (laughs) constantly I've cried many times already over these last couple episodes So let's get into it, and I want to start our deep dive just a little bit differently today because, I mean, you were mentioning that they're promoing a lot of the funny lines, but there were a lot of really profound lines that stuck out to me in this episode, things that really get at those different ways that the characters are coping. And so I thought it might be interesting to kind of start with the ones that resonated with us the most. For me, it was kind of surprisingly one of Katie's lines. Mm-hmm. Near the end, she says, I thought that if I took on more power and more responsibility that I'd want heroin less. But the truth is, when I thought I'd relapsed, I wasn't disappointed. I wasn't mad at myself. I was relieved. It gave me permission to relapse some more. Trying to leave the hedges, it's only going to get harder, and I'm not sure I can do it without a crutch, which maybe means I shouldn't do it at all. And that that really resonated with me personally, because while I don't have her her substance abuse issues, that approach of just like taking on more and more, doing more and more, blowing past my own boundaries, even when I know it's bad for me, that is totally how I respond to grief and negative emotions. It's just like that's my way of avoiding them. Yeah, I feel like there's been many instances in my life where it's like kind of the bad thing or the disappointing thing happens and it's kind of like relieving in a Mm. way. Mm -hmm. Same with like 
kind of like, you know, if you're an introvert and someone cancels plans with you and you're just like, yes. Uh-huh. A little bit different, but it's a similar feeling. <laughs> well, so say a little more about that. Like, what are, what are you thinking about? I don't know. Like, say you don't really want to go into work and it gets canceled or something, but you kind of need to go to work, but you don't want to go to work. So it's kind of like a relieving feeling to, to, I don't know, for negative things to happen sometimes. I think I know what you mean. And I think it's a lot more personal with her because, you know, it's heroin. But Yeah. But I think there's also, like, there's a, there's a middle ground in there, which is something that I have experienced a lot. Like, I think anyone who deals with anxiety, like you or like I, um, you know that experience of, the like, the way that you build it up in your head is so bad and so much worse a lot of times than how it actually pans out. Like, even when the worst of the worst happens, it's never as horrible as you think it's going to be in your head when you're sort of building it up with that anxiety and it's it's talking to you and telling you that, like, your life is going to end. Yeah. For her, her relief was a little bit different, right? Like, her relief was around, like she says, like, feeling like it gave her permission to fuck up more. Yeah. But as somebody who, like, has some pretty bad perfectionistic tendencies. I also really get that, right? Like if you feel like you have to be perfect all the time and like there is so much responsibility on you and like your way of dealing with bad shit is to take on more responsibility. It it just like, it, it can be this, you just build more and more fear and anxiety in your life to go along with that about fucking up. And so when you finally do, it's like, okay, well, I guess at least now everyone sees <laughs> it's it's like if you have imposter syndrome, right? Like, okay, well now everyone sees that I am an imposter, so maybe I don't have to pretend so hard anymore. Yeah. I feel like hers is rooted in something a little bit more sad because like hmm. last season she wanted to die. Yeah. So I feel like it might be something like that again. You think you like think she's that still she's still not sure if she wants to live. Mm. Well, I hope she I I hope she wants to live. I want her to live. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like in this episode too though, we're we're still setting up the Katie and Hedgewitch storyline. Like I still don't know where it's going, but I am much more interested in it after this episode than I was in the last last one. Like now I actually give a shit. There's some urgency to to wanting to see how it's going to resolve. I mean, this is sort of an unfair question to ask you, Danny, but like, where do you think this plot line is going to go? Honestly, I have no idea. Like <laughs> I, it's one of those storylines that I just have no idea where it's going. Um, there's nothing in the books or that is like rooted in this at all. So there's nothing to like latch on to. Well, and that's a really interesting thing about, like, Katie's storylines in general because she's not the only new character, and she's also not, like, there are plenty of times when a storyline that is sort of central in one character in the book ends up being centralized around a different character in the show. Um, we've talked about that mm-hmm. a, a fair bit before, but with Katie, that doesn't happen very frequently, right? Like, Katie is a pretty much new character. I mean, sort of very loosely 
like in name only based off of um, a minor character in the books. But she's also not really taking the place of anyone in the books. She's she just gets made from whole cloth. And I really like that. It, it gives them a lot to explore with her. Yeah, it definitely gives them a lot to do on their own, like something that hasn't been written before. It, it's interesting. Katie's journey has always been really good to watch. Mm. Quite like her. <laughs> Let's keep her around. Yes. You had said after the trailer that you were hoping Jake Choi's character would have a meatier role than he ends up having, at least if this episode is, is any indication. Are you disappointed that he didn't? Yes. I mean, for many reasons. For one, like, I feel like they really could have done something with his character. I mean, he identifies as queer in real life, so it's kind of just like... I don't know, like, my head immediately went to, like, oh, he should be, like, a love interest of Elliot's, but it obviously is not going to happen. But I did like his role. Like, I thought he was really funny. Like, they definitely cast very well to, like, his strengths. He's a very funny guy. Mm. He usually plays, like, the funny, stupid guy in things. So it was interesting to see him not be so much stupid, but still funny. Yeah, and kind of awkward, He's very awkward. I was, like, kind of digging that vibe between him and Katie, and then it just turned very, very dark very quick. (laughs) Yeah, it got dark really quick. (laughs) He does have a tattoo of a kraken, so... um, Oh, shit, I forgot about that. You mentioned that in the trailer episode, I think. No, because they hadn't shown him. Oh, maybe you just texted me. His (laughs) eyes lighting up in the trailer. I think I texted it to you, yeah, because, like... When I was watching it, probably the second or third time, I was just, like, looking. I was like, maybe his tattoos mean something. I know that the actor has a lot of tattoos in real life, so it could just be his tattoo. But, like, it just feels like it would be a little bit too much of a coincidence that he has a Kraken tattoo, and obviously we're going to see a Kraken this season. So, you know, fingers crossed. Well, and I don't think it necessarily means he is the Kraken, but more like, like if he's a sleeper agent, right? Like that's one of the things that we get. Ooh, hey, we're starting to understand the Hedgewitch plotline. Talking it out, talking it out. Right, like he does we don't know who he's a sleeper agent for. That's a sort of big linchpin of the end of mm-hmm. Katie's storyline for this episode. But we do know, like, that's the one hint that we get about, like, where this storyline is going to be going. And if the Kraken thing is like... I don't know if they're serving the Kraken or if it's, like, the Order of the Kraken or something like that. But if there is some kind of, like, thing going on around that, like, that seems like a really interesting place for it to go. And also not what I expected at all because, like, what we see in that one glimpse we get of the Kraken in the trailer has nothing to do with the Hedge Witches. And it's, like, isn't it Elliot and um, what is the name of Elliot's, uh, the homunculus that... Elliot was like hanging out with. I forgot. It's um. God, what's his name? (laughs) I can't remember what it is. Uh, I'll remember it like probably right afterwards. Um. (laughs) Okay, but the the guy, the other guy who was like in the happy place with Elliot um, last season. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like it, that would be a really good um, deflection. A really good Charlton. uh, 
Charlton, yeah. <laughs> that would be a really good deflection, though, right? Like, if if they showed us this one scene that doesn't have any of the people who are primarily involved in the Kraken plot, some good misdirection. Well, they always love to, like, at some point in the season, kind of start to combine the storylines. Yes. So, like, eventually I feel like, you know, it's going to come together and have to relate to, like, the overall, like, arching plot. So this isn't really about Katie, but I have a question for you. Okay. Because it kind of has to do with Katie, but not really. Okay. Um, How do you feel about, like, Pete being kind of important again? I don't know. I mean, what I want to see out of Pete is some uh, confrontation of past skeeziness, if that makes sense. Like, if he's going to stick around, (laughs) I I need... A little more of, like, head-on dealing with his patriarchal bullshit than we've seen so far. Well, I do love Katie constantly not putting up with this bullshit and yes. being just antagonistic towards him a little bit. I don't know. He's kind of growing on me just because he's more of, like, that the comedic relief character uh-huh. right now. Um all I know is that Killy is probably going to be really happy because she, for some reason she's the only <laughs> person I know that loves Pete. <laughs> Everyone's got to have a fan. (laughs) So let's move on to Alice's storyline. Because you were saying last week that kind of Alice's way of of dealing with her grief and that just like pit of utter depression she falls into, like head in the mattress, really resonated with you and how you cope with things like that in your life. And I kind of wanted to see if that holds this week because she, she moves out of that into some pretty drastic actions Do you still see yourself in the way Alice is processing Quentin's death? I feel like like everyone at least has some kind of period of grief where they just do something fucking crazy. Um, Even if it's just something simple, like, you know, some people chop off their hair or whatever when they're depressed or going through something. Um, The breakup haircut. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I'm not really, like, a drastic person. Like, that that kind of stuff rarely happens. I'm definitely more of, like, a wallow in self-pity for quite a while. And then eventually I just kind of snap out of it. What about you? How do you... <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I think I sort of said it earlier that, like, the the thing that resonated most with me... Well, I'll talk, I'll talk about both of them. But, like, Katie's was definitely a big thing that resonated with me. And then... That scene I played with Jane and Elliot, there were parts of that that resonated with me, which is something I never thought I'd say. Like, I don't generally identify with Elliot in any way other than that he's queer. And, uh, like, that's just not the kind of person that I generally am. But his way of dealing with grief was kind of similar to mine. Um, What was, like, I'm curious, in this week's set of, like, here is how everyone is coping who did you identify with most? Like, what was your big line? I don't know if there's, like, a specific line uh, that jumped out to me for anyone grief-wise in this episode, except for maybe the, like, the the timeline about, like, how... What is it? The one that's at the end of the clip. (laughs) Time is a motherfucker. Time is a motherfucker, and it is. Um, I feel like I would be more similar to to Elliot I've definitely Mm. been through it like that where it's like substance abuse or something bad 
and like just more like getting angry. I feel like he's more angry and he, he lashes out at people. Um, like he lashes out at Margo who mm. they love each other so much, but they like really kind of got into it and they've been getting into it a little bit this season in ways that we like haven't really seen before. I really like that. I've really enjoyed their scenes together. That was, I was trying to decide what clip to pull and that was the other one I was considering. It's a good one. It's really nice to see just, I mean, we're always just getting more facets of the characters, which is always great. Yeah, but I think it is important to their friendship to be able to challenge each other, right? Like, especially when it comes to something that's so big. That's one of the things I value about our friendship is that we can call each other on our bullshit. (laughs) And, yeah, right, like... If one of us is, you know, spiraling about something, the other one can be like, okay, but you know that's not true, or can, you know, challenge the person to deal with something head-on that they're not dealing with. I'm trying to avoid any specifics because, you know, personal. (laughs) Yeah. Well, bringing it back to Alice's storyline in this... Please do. um, I feel like a lot of people... I feel like a lot of people, if they they had the ability to do something like bring back their ex that Mm. died, I feel like people would do that if they could, or just anyone in their life. Um, The the whole ritual to, like, bring him back reminded me a lot of, there's an anime called Full Metal Alchemist. Oh, yeah. Great anime, probably, like, the best one of all time, um, (laughs) where these two brothers bring back their mom, who died, Mm -hmm. and they have to do some pretty fucking dark magic to do it. It's not magic in that show, it's alchemy, but it's still, like, really dark, and, like, a lot of the symbols are similar, but there's this whole thing in that show about, like, equivalent exchange, which they Mm. don't do here. The only closest thing to that would be the the mirror world, like how they got into it with the blood, is very similar to the equivalent exchange. Well, the sort of mythology around golems is really interesting. And, like, they don't really go into it much in The Magicians. Like, I don't think they did the first time either. But it it's, comes from Jewish tradition, from, like, Jewish mystical tradition. And the, like, golems are typically these, like sexless uh, sort of they're not fully human creatures which they talk about a little bit in the like Margot one but they're like one of mm-hmm. the sort of important features of them is that they're they're ephemeral right like if you keep a golem around too long it turns bad and turns on you so like in like typically you have to destroy it <laughs> which you do by mm-hmm. uttering this word um, but like, even if, even in like versions of Gollum stories where like the person who creates it isn't the one who destroys it, there's always that ephemeral element that like the Gollum does sort of disintegrate. There's only the one exception I know of is the one that I know of because I, I read that book this summer and talked to, um, talked to the author is in Alice Hoffman's newer newest book um well maybe it's not her newest anymore she's very prolific but um now i'm blanking on the name of it but it's a like world war ii historical speculative fiction and in that one it's much more pinocchio like like the golem slowly becomes more and more human 
But she also takes some other interesting mm. liberties in that very intentionally. Like she makes the golem female, which you never see female golems. If they have sex or gender, they're always male. Mm. Interesting. But yeah, I, I do think it's kind of interesting that we haven't touched on that. And I, I wondered when I was rewatching the episode if that was a constraint that Alice was aware of, if it was something that would hold when you use the like book and essence to make the creature. And I mean, of course, he ends up being ephemeral, right? Like the whole conversation between her and Julia is about how Alice kind of like her brain created a version of him that couldn't fulfill the task so that he wouldn't have to she could keep him around yeah yeah exactly but it is sort of the first real way that we've contended with that part of the mythology in the series yeah that's true there's definitely a lot more there i'm wondering if it's similar to like how golems are made in the other episodes because they don't have never really showed it before well the only one we saw was the margot golem and elliot oh yeah Yes, you're right. <laughs> the Margot Gollum, though, is definitely uh, unformed. Gollum means unformed or unfinished, something like that. And it was taking her life force? Oh, maybe. See, that's a, that could be... I, I haven't seen that in, like, past mythologies, but that seems like a way that it could, like, turn on its creator or whatever. I buy it. Yeah. Um. So going back to the like the Alice storyline more generally, I was listening to on the media this weekend, and it was this replay recut of an earlier episode um, about trying to use restorative justice on the internet. And like really quick primer, but I'm not going to get into it too much. The whole idea of restorative justice is that like instead of punishing somebody for a crime by like imprisoning them or hurting them in some way or like taking away their rights what you do is you try to facilitate a way for them to have a conversation with the person that they hurt um, and, like, really genuinely understand what they did to hurt that person and apologize, but also um, to kind of make it up to make it up, I mean, to the extent that you can in some way. So, like, it's sort of a mix of genuine confrontation of... Like, like genuinely contending with and confronting what you did and the pain it caused, and then also service to the community and uh, to try to make amends. Like, the part that's relevant I, in part because, like, one of the guests that they had on, she said something like, facing the people you've hurt and acknowledging how you've hurt them is one of the hardest things that we do as human beings, which... I think is genuinely true. Like, just look at how defensive most people are in any kind of confrontation. So many people have so much difficulty Mm -hmm. saying the words I'm sorry, much less, like, really facing what they've done. I thought about it when I was watching Julia and Alice interact in this episode because you can just see the fear and shame on Alice's face. You can see how much she doesn't want to face Julia's judgment even though I think she probably knows all along that Julia is the best person to to help her. I don't know. I just thought that was really profound. And I was curious what you thought of that and what you thought of those scenes in general. I mean, I really like whenever Julia and Alice have screen time together because they're so similar in some mm. ways. Very driven people 
but they're also obviously very different. Um, but I don't know. I like that they kind of seem to have a little bit of a budding friendship this season. Yeah. Um, which I feel like they probably never would have had if, if Quentin didn't die, unfortunately. Um, it's just really interesting to see Julia this season, too, because she's very much a just, like, take shit into my own hands. And she's not mm-hmm. wallowing or, like, sad over anything. She just is trying to be, like, I guess, like, an anchor for other people. Well, it's funny that you say that because in a lot of ways I think Julia is the only one who is... Well, Julia and to some extent Margot are the only ones who are really contending with their grief, like facing it head on. Because, like, she is not running away from how hard it is for her. She is not burying herself in, like, substances or in work or, like, trying to find meaning anywhere else. Mm -hmm. I guess... Henry sort of alluded to this, though I don't feel like I have seen it really, but like he sort of alluded to her maybe burying herself in her relationship. Mm -hmm. But from what we've seen so far, she seems to be really contending with Quentin's death and what it means to her in a more, in a deeper way than most of the other characters at this point. Yeah, that's true. Something that I feel like I have to mention, because if I don't, I never will, and I'll forget about it. (laughs) How the fuck did Alice get a sliver of Quentin's soul from the underworld? I really want to know that. (laughs) I was kind of like, maybe I should just let it fly, but I'm glad you brought it up, because that feels like a plot hole to me. Mm -hmm. It really does. I don't think his soul was hanging around. I, I don't know. I still need to go back and watch that original underworld scene, but like... We did not see Quentin Shade there, did we? No. But the way that, like, I feel like... The way that they ended his storyline last season after he died... Mm-hmm. He, like, went through the door. It made it feel like there's just not going to be any remnant of him in the underworld at all. So <laughs> I'm very curious as to how she obtained that. Hmm. I mean, she spends a lot of time in the library, and there is clearly some porous relationship between the library and the underworld yes i don't know i like I, I do feel like that has to get resolved though for me to be fully satisfied yeah i feel like there's a lot of little questions being raised in general like obviously that page that she wants um like Gollum quentin to read for her but he can't like it looks very familiar doesn't it it looks very familiar did we we talked about that a little bit last time didn't we no, because they haven't shown the page yet in the the episode before. I thought they showed it very briefly at the end. It was like it was just like <laughs> I'm trying to think of how much trouble I, I got. Think us so in the they last just show her like setting up her spell. <laughs> yeah, well, so do you want to explain what it is to people, or what you think it is? I mean, if it is what we what we think it is, we think it is a page to build a new land, which is what Quentin did. In the magician's land, it's a very big plot point, mm-hmm. um, and it would only be fitting that Alice would be the one to do it. Um, but I, I mean, I, like I've said a million times, like I want her and Elliot to do it together. I think that would be great. I don't know. Like I'm really excited for that to be a potential thing. Yeah, I I agree with that, and I don't remember how much of this we talked about last season, but. 
um, in the magician's land, the the plant that Quentin sees that like Julia takes him to on the far side of the world, which we sort of see a version of in episode four twelve. That is a that provides a critical component of making that new land. And I think that's part of why, I mean, it may be all of why, but a big, definitely a big part of why that page feels like it has to be the same page um, from the books because it has that plant very prominently there. And, you know, they've retconned the look of it a little, but mm-hmm. it does in the, in the page look a little bit more like what I imagine it looks like in the book. Yeah, it's a lot more similar to, like, your tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look exactly like it, but it is more similar. It's more leafy and less floral, for sure. Yeah, I'm curious if they're just going to, like, change that. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see. We'll see how big of a retcon it is. Or maybe it's done as a different plant. I mean, the relationship with that plant that Quentin had was very different in 412. Yeah. And it, the plant does a different thing. So I could totally see them handling that in a different way. Yeah, that's true. Um, so just to wrap up the Gollum storyline, any other, any other thoughts, anything else you wanted to share about just like how you felt about that generally? I mean, I loved it. Because <laughs> <laughs> just any chance to like, to see Quentin again in some form. Yeah. I feel like is is pleasing and but like also the actor Luca I can't remember what his last name is at the moment but he is incredible like he has even Jason's mannerisms down like oh my God, he clearly so so. did his research he is an incredible actor it's incredible partly because Jason isn't there on set, right? Like, it's not like he can just go up to him and observe him, which is, I think, a thing that a lot of actors who are playing the same part as another actor will do. He just has to yeah, go from what is, like, from what he's already seen. Yeah. And, I mean, he's just such an incredible young actor. Obviously, mm-hmm. he's amazing in You, the first season. Um that's so, where I've seen him before. Like, I, I'm glad. I always love. <laughs> <laughs> I, I swear we already talked about this. <laughs> Probably. I I don't know. I have a cold. <laughs> cold brain. <laughs> and yeah, he's amazing. He's an amazing young actor. I love to see like how Sarah is always bringing people from her other shows into the magician's world. And John has done it too. It's awesome. Like I and I think they said there would be more you actors in this season. Well and so. the and the reverse happens too. Like I noticed that Mira Menon, who directed some of the episodes last season, directed a few episodes of you this season. Season two. Shannon Coley too. Ah, see? Some crossovers. That would be a weird fucking crossover. You can tell Sarah really likes to use the same people. <laughs> I would just die if they got Penn Badgley to do anything in The Magicians because I think he's an incredible actor. I think if they did, they'd have to make him be someone super nice, just as like a misdirect, right? You'd have to be looking at him sideways the entire time and be like, "When when's the other shoe going to drop? And he'd just have to be nice no matter what. I feel like if anything, you'd probably end up being some like mystical creature because they love to make like oh my god that would be great their random one-off characters as like some mystical creature. So, um, 
but yeah, that would be great. I mean, I always see that character. I mean, this is off topic as being basically like an evil Dan Humphrey from Gossip Girl anyways. So. By that character, you mean Joe? Yes, Joe. <laughs> okay. But, you know, we shouldn't talk about you too much. That would be an entirely different podcast, which yeah, we yeah. could easily do. <laughs> um, well, then back to the Gollum storylines. So you told me also, how you though, felt. Sorry? Oh, also, though, like, this episode, every single time I watch it, it makes me want tacos, like, hardcore. <laughs> I feel like that's a good takeaway. <laughs> um, so, so back to the Gollum storyline. I, I just felt like I'd bring this up because um, you know that I felt kind of... I. F- <laughs> you know how upset I was when I watched the, the premiere, the first episode, for the first time. And I mean, mm-hmm. I was trying to be all diplomatic about it last time when we talked to Henry and had him on, and you just straight up said I didn't realize what was happening until Clara texted me that she was pissed (laughs) not letting me get away with uh, my diplomacy efforts (laughs) but the thing is like I I have a hard time articulating exactly what I like why it upset me so much and it came up again like in the or it came up in the panel that we did um, in Seattle too but Jane says something in this episode when she's talking to Elliot that does a pretty good job of articulating that feeling for me. Because she says, if you took away a sacrifice, meaning Quentin's, you'd lose everything that it brought you. But then she says you have to let go of the past, Elliot, let the dead stay dead. And for me, like, I I just have this strong feeling that if Quentin came back, especially if he came back, like, really quickly, like, I am with you, it would be great to have him back in, like, the last couple episodes of the series for sure and be able to to close mm-hmm. some of that out and let those characters get some real closure. Um, but if he came back really quickly and it wasn't hard won in any way, that would just make me feel really fucked with. Like, <laughs> the pain mm-hmm. that you and I and everyone else went through, all the ways that the fi- finale, like, created that and changed things, it would just feel like it was for nothing if he came back in the first or second episode. And so, like, that that was what... yeah triggered me in that at the end of that first episode it's what I was afraid of but I agree with you like the way this episode pays it off is so so good um I really love that it doesn't try to erase what happens or write over it and that like is a theme that keeps coming up like Jane has that thing that she says too in that clip that we played about how like trying to change the past just makes it worse and you see that happening with the Elliot and Margot storyline a lot that like every when they try to sort of yeah change what happened or resist it or like rewrite time it just kind of fucks it up more but Alice like what she wants Alice is, is closure she really wants to say goodbye to like her Quentin and she doesn't get that in fact, she doesn't even, like, fully get to say goodbye because he's already gone by the time that she thinks to say it. So it's it's not exactly what she wants yeah. or what we want, but it is... It, it gets her what she needs. It gets her facing those feelings and processing them. And that, for me, was pretty meaningful. But, like, also, like, how can you, like, not cry during that that scene between oh, Alice and Quentin Gollum not. and like that has the fucking music, their theme music oh playing in the back. I was like, Oh God. 
No, you can't not cry. That's that's the impossibility of it. But that's right. Like that's what makes it good. It's that it feels very real. It gives you it. It like it caused in me. It produced in me these feelings. The same that that are complex and hard to process, and you know, make me cry, leak out of my face. Um, but that also mm-hmm. just aren't easily resolved. I don't know. I liked it a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know. Maybe I liked it more because I was so mad at at it <laughs> at like the hint of it in episode one. Yeah. I mean, and they do it again. They do it again at the end of this episode. So they do it again at the end mm-hmm. of this episode with the letter. Yeah, and I got so, pissed again. They're really like fucking with you. I got pissed again. I do think like it's a little shitty to to tease that. The first time I can get behind, the second time I was like a little more genuinely pissed. But it's also what I said when we talked to Henry is kind of true. Like, of course Alice would try. And frankly, if Alice tried and Elliot didn't, it would feel disingenuous. So I get it. I just kind of wish it weren't at the end of an episode. So it's like teasing things. Yeah. But you know, don't have to love everything, I guess. <laughs> the show loves its fucked up cliffhanger, so I'm not really surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> so I want to talk about the scene that we played with Jane and Elliot some more, because for me, that was just like a real wow moment. And I, I mentioned this earlier, but mm-hmm. I ended up identifying with Elliot in that scene, which is something that I almost never do. Like, I, I, I like him as a character, but the people I've known in my life who are like Elliot, who are affected in that way, have always been people that I can't really trust. And so mm-hmm. I feel like there's a... I always have an emotional distance with that character. But he tells Jane someone's got to keep it together, and she calls him on his bullshit in a really non-judgmental way, but also just really kind of forcing him to confront the truth that he is avoiding shit. Like, mm-hmm. he's still running away mm-hmm. the way that he the way that he kind of always does. It's not with drink, maybe, or other sort of substance issues, and it's not with sex, but he's still running away. He's still avoiding he's those negative feelings. It. What was that? I said he's just still not talking about it. Like, he won't talk to anybody about it. Yeah. And I mean, you said earlier that like that did resonate with you a little bit. Can you talk a little bit more about that? I just feel like sometimes it's really hard to put into words Hmm. when you lose someone or not even just like death wise, like a breakup or something. Hmm. Like sometimes it's just really hard to like talk about and, or sometimes you do talk about it and then like you just feel like you're always talking about, about it and like no one wants to hear it anymore there's always that feeling too so it's just kind of like you get in your head that like they're not going to understand or want to hear about it after a while so you just don't say anything Mm -hmm. um but there's nothing wrong I feel like with not wanting to talk about it right away I feel like you know everyone grieves at their own pace and I think eventually you know We'll probably get him to talk, and it's probably going to be really emotional. Oh yeah, I, I I don't think that 
<laughs> I don't think the show could or would try to get away with not facing that at some point and not facing it. In a, it it's gonna, yeah. I agree with you. They're going to face it in a really devastating way. <laughs> yes. Just keep those tissues ready. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, watching Elliot not deal with Quentin's death is like waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know it's coming. You know he's going to have to face it. You know it's going to be devastating. How do you prepare yourself for that emotionally? Can you? I don't think so. I don't think you can really prepare for it. I mean, I guess, like, just maybe talk about it with someone beforehand. Like, I we've done so much talking about what this season might hold and what can happen. So I feel like for us, we're at least a little bit more emotionally prepared for it. But like everyone else, I'm, I'm not entirely sure how they would do that unless they just talk to each other. I feel like that's the best way. Good advice. So we talked about their storyline a bit because we've talked about Elliot. But the last thing I just kind of want to bring up in this episode before we move to fashion is the Margot of it all. How you feeling about that summer visual? Yes, we have not talked about Fillory. <laughs> uh, she's great always um there's a lot going on in fillery in general we haven't really talked about it too much and not even just Margot. like in the beginning where like elliot sees like fen's ghost and you know what i was thinking actually there's this point where like in that before elliot starts talking to her it's like showing right before she died, and she says, "Are we still going to be friends after this?" Oh my god, yes. Her. And I'm wondering if that's important. I mean, I think it's important. Just, I think it's just character revelation, right? Because that is Fen in a nutshell, right? Like she is so desperate for approval and for people to like her. It is, but the the person's also like cloaked and hidden, and they say no, and I'm just curious if like. It's relevant because I just feel like it might be, but it is very much just like a fan thing. Yeah, I think that's a right. Like that's also <laughs> she's not dealing with Quentin's death. Maybe I mean she doesn't. It, it seems in that scene like she never knew. Doesn't know. Yeah, so that's going to be a whole new layer of devastation. Yeah, um, but it is sort of a way that she deals with grief or just like with negative shit in her life she has such low self-esteem she's so desperate for people to like her and I also kind of identify with that even though I don't think I would feel that way about somebody who is like literally murdering me (laughs) but it's it can be hard sometimes yeah I feel like I feel like Josh would be really devastated when he finds out about Quentin I'm curious to see how Oh, yeah. He'll react. Because he was definitely close-ish to him. I'm trying to think if the characters were close or if you're just reading into Trevor and Jason's relationship. They're pretty close. I mean, they have quite a few moments together. Hmm. I mean, Quentin's not all that close to anybody except for Elliot and, like, Alice Alice and Julia. So, yeah. Like, he's not even really that close to to Margot. So, but I feel like he had a decent friendship with josh i mean he's the reason they even like reached out to him and got him back in the gang anyways yeah that's true and i mean in the books not in the first book but like 
you do their relationship does develop and you can definitely see that there's a sort of mutual respect between them yes yeah definitely Fen and her phone I couldn't oh my god Fen with the phone her phone <laughs> I couldn't stop laughing because like all I could think is I swear it had to have been Todd that like made her that phone that has three bars and is working in <laughs> fillery because he needs to send her like emojis and memes obviously <laughs> I hope so that would be so amazing well you remember I mean they've been using bunnies for it um to like communicate between worlds but in the books there are these sort of telegrams they go through the fountains I could totally see the like Instagram stories being a modern update of that <laughs> yeah I thought it was pretty funny I want to see her use filters wouldn't people seeing this Instagram story would be like thinking she's just batshit insane? <laughs> what is she talking about? Well, and who's seeing it, right? Which I think is Josh's question. Like, who the fuck is seeing these stories? Yeah. <laughs> but I definitely want to see her use filters. I want to see yeah. which Disney are you, Fen style. Oh, that would be funny. But of course, <laughs> obviously, these episodes were written before that trend came about. <laughs> well that trend's been around for a while but I feel like over the last few weeks it's just become all that Instagram is yeah <laughs> I mean people are bored with Instagram I feel like we gotta find something <laughs> on to the next social media um, any other fillery notes you have before we move on to fashion I think I covered it alright then we will move to fashion. I will admit that I wasn't paying attention to fashion as much in this episode as I was in the last. But there are at least a, f a few things worth mentioning. Uh, first, High King Fen continues her mm -hmm. love affair with pantsuits in this episode, and it is glorious. The one that we see her wearing in the throne room is this really cool material that's like almost holographic, like burnt sienna and gold. Mm -hmm. And um, the other thing that I noticed, which... Um, kind of struck me even more this episode is the shoulder pads. And I think I talked about them a little bit last season or the season before. Um, but I don't think I really got into like the history of shoulder pads because the, the raised shoulder pads or raised shoulders that she has are really epic. And it, it felt to me like that plus the just being in a pantsuit and her sort of whole vibe is a tribute to the, like, feminist power suits of the 80s. Mm -hmm. And those were all about, like, women being in the workforce for the first time and sort of having to pretend at masculinity to get respect. But, like, another way of seeing that is that they were performing masculinity and usurping it as a way of claiming the power that men had. And they did that by making themselves bigger, like, the same way you would make yourself bigger if you encountered a mountain lion. And I think it's interesting because there's a similar movement now about like women getting big and taking up space, but it's mostly focused on actual bodies, like bodybuilding and aspects of fat acceptance and um, a bunch of sort of things around that in like response to manspreading. And I don't remember, I don't know if you caught this, but when we talked to Ryan at um, the con, they said something to me, or they said something to us as they were like going up to claim their seat about how like, I love taking up space because like I'm never allowed to. 
And uh, it's like, it was interesting to me that like, as this is coming back as a like physical embodied thing, we're seeing that fashion on Fen, who of course is like the most feminine character in this show in a lot of ways, most traditionally feminine as like a fashion statement. So I thought that was really interesting. And that is all I have to say about that suit. What is your biggest fashion note from this episode, Danny? I think that I mostly noticed how much I didn't like some people's outfits. Oh? Um, I really don't like the way Julia's dressed in this episode, and I always love the way she's dressed, but I have a feeling that it was more to hide Stella's pregnancy than it was anything. Um, she's wearing, like, these too big for her clothes. Ah, yeah. Her Any of her outfits. I don't like them at all. <laughs> <laughs> Were there were there other things you noticed, or was that the like? Were there other outfits you didn't like? Um, I really don't like Josh with a mustache. I oh, feel like no, that's the Tom Selleck fashion, mustaches. But, you know. No, no bueno. And then no one else was wearing anything of crazy note. I mean, Margot's wearing the same episode. I mean, the same, same outfit as the last episode. I mean, Elliot looks good, but Elliot always looks good. So. Well, Elliot's outfit, I think, does deserve slight note because I, I didn't think about it when we saw it. I, I don't know if we saw that outfit in the last episode or not, but um, he's wearing all black. No, I think he changes. Yeah, but I, I think it, like, he's wearing all black. Yeah. And we we talked about how like Margot wore all black in season two after Alice died. Mm-hmm. She right, like she wasn't really outwardly grieving Alice very much, but mm-hmm. the fashion choices she was making were reflecting some of that feeling that we weren't getting head on. And I kind of felt like Elliot's all black suit in this episode is kind of serving that same purpose. Like he has yet to contend with those feelings in any kind of real way, but they're starting to show up, um, starting to peek through in the way he dresses and in sort of other aspects of his demeanor and carriage. Yeah, definitely. So those are my main fashion notes, other than to agree with you that, like, the mustache on Josh is a bad, bad idea. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to move on to MVPs? Yes, I think we are pretty much done with the the episode. Okay, so you, you're, we're going to do MVPs, and you're going to go first this time, since I went first last time. <laughs> um, honestly, you know, it's pretty rare that I'll do this and give it to a guest star, but I feel like it has to go to Luca, who plays the Gollum Quentin, because he's just so good. <laughs> like, it's hard to embody someone else's character and do it so well. It's also really hard to, like, stand up to Olivia in an episode. Like, we were talking about last episode just how arresting she is. And she is still very arresting in this episode. And uh, that kid, Luca, (laughs) he does not... He's not noticeably worse than she is in any way. And that is a feat in and of itself. Yes. Very... They did a very good job together. Um, I mean, he's, he's just really good. And he's done it before i mean and yui acts alongside adults always and he's really good at it i think that's a good choice i went with something different um i ended up going with hail for this episode i think Mm -hmm. uh henry sort of mentioned last episode about how 
he he kind of gets undersold a bit because what he's doing in this episode in the last one is really sort of covering over emotion. He doesn't get to emote the way that everyone else does. But as he as that progresses as it did in this episode, especially in there are two scenes that really hit me. Like the first one is when he's talking to Fen. And you just see all the different ways that mm-hmm. his he is reacting without really reacting, um, like he's not saying anything, to her very true, very accurate assessment of him as, you know, basically a coward. That I felt was really powerful. And then again, it, there's sort of a similar thing going on when he and Ellie or he and Margot are fighting where he is just like not reacting to her, but you can also tell that it is hitting him even as he is refusing to acknowledge it. So I thought that was really good and, and something that probably does get underhyped um, in a lot of ways, especially when you like compare that to some of the more um, clearly emotional performances. So I wanted to give it to Hale. Good. That's a good one. <laughs> Okay. Um, so what the fuck do we want to do about ratings this season? I mean, like, I don't know. Like, I would say this episode's a 10-10. I feel like this <laughs> season's just going to get that from us a lot. So it's kind of pointless. But I don't know how else we would grade it. <laughs> well, I do, think, I do think that what we kind of did last time might be worth doing. So I might just ask you, like... What are the things that really, really worked for you in this episode, and what, if anything, didn't work? I mean, I I loved so much about this episode. There's just so many lines. There's so many moments between so many different characters. Like, this episode, I I don't think there is a thing that doesn't work for me. I Mm. think it was perfect. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you feel that way. I I will bring up one thing that you mentioned earlier, which is... um, the little plot hole around where Alice got that shard of Quentin's soul. I mean, yeah, that's annoying to throw out there and not have an answer for it, but, like, I'm hoping that there is an answer for it eventually. I feel like there has to be some, but whether or not we get it, we're still waiting on that Candy Witch story, which, you know, they could be related. Who knows? Oh, my God. <laughs> Don't even, like... <laughs> the candy witch. I'm I'm starting to think that we will never get an answer for that. And I thought it was hilarious because I felt like they purposely brought it up in that episode where Ember does the like voiceover and then they didn't even do it. <laughs> Still mad. <laughs> well, um I really liked a lot in this episode. Um I think the Acting choices were great. I mentioned this already, but like I kind of loved the the way that they sort of wove the things that happened good and bad and the mistakes that you made. They you're stuck with those mistakes, right? Like you're stuck with the shit that's happened. The past has to stay in the past. Um I liked that as a theme and I liked sort of it it represents a kind of maturity um, that I think a lot of us have struggled with, right? Like, it's like you said, like, who wouldn't want to try to bring somebody back even if you know that it probably can't end well? That's the whole, like, 
ring hallow or stone hallow from harry potter it's just too big of a temptation so i liked that as a theme a lot what didn't work for me josh's josh's mustache that didn't work for me um (laughs) i i'm inclined to agree with you though i think it was a really good episode and um i guess the one thing is even though i think i'm more excited about katie's storyline um, I still wish that they they pushed it a little bit further, a little bit faster. So being at the end of the second episode and still feeling like it's getting off the ground is maybe something that doesn't quite work for me. Yeah, I feel like they're probably just waiting to give her like an episode that's pretty much mostly Katie. It's probably going to happen at some point. I await with bated breath. <laughs> they like to do that with uh, with Katie. Um, she'll kind of disappear for a while, and then, you know, all of a sudden she's back. Then she'll punch somebody? <laughs> yeah, she'll punch somebody. Um, I guess, yeah. I mean, the only thing that disappoints me is obviously their under-usage of, of Jake Toy. So I'm hoping that <laughs> gets rectified. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so that, that takes us almost to the end. But before we wrap wrap up completely, it's just something I wanted to talk about. Because you and I have have talked a lot with each other about our fears going into this season about the show itself for sure but also about just doing this podcast because so much happened last season and like we got really deep and really personal on a number of episodes and then the finale kind of blew things apart (laughs) um in a lot of different ways um and affected us both in ways we expected and in ways that we could not possibly have expected. So I just thought it it the the show seems to be leaning into the hard stuff and I thought it might be worth us trying to do the same in our own little way and just talk about how we've been feeling going into the season. Are you okay doing that? I guess I'll try to find words for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, why don't why don't you start? How have you how have you been feeling? going into season five I just try not to think about it honestly like I just gave myself a break like I literally have not watched any episodes of the magicians or the finale I still haven't watched the finale again since we watched it like five times Mm -hmm. um I don't know I just kind of distanced myself from that I distanced myself from twitter um only came back basically right before this season starts um, I just kind of just stayed away and just tried not to think about it too much, except for obviously when we were in Seattle, like we talked about it a decent amount because we were doing a con, con panel about grief, but yeah, I just kind of didn't think about it too much because I just wanted to just be able to jump in without too many like negative feelings. How do you feel now? Two episodes, well, I guess three episodes in with the trailer one. I feel fine, but I mean, at the same time, like, we're recording these before anyone's actually seen anything, and so, um, I don't know how I'll feel after that, but I feel fine right now. I feel like... What about you? Well, I feel like you've done a better job, I mean, you have done a better job of distancing yourself than I have. I left Twitter for, like, a month and a half, and then I I came back recently, um, but I left too late, like, I stayed... I stayed in the sort of center of things for too long. 
Mm-hmm. And I, I think I did that for a bunch of reasons. Some of them like sort of noble around like want feeling like I wanted to help people and wanted to um bring some calm and kindness when it felt like those things were sometimes in short supply. Um, but also I think some of it being realistic and like looking at myself, I think some of it is that it's, it's hard not to be in the middle of that. Um, Mm -hmm. it's hard to, when, when you and I have been part of the fandom for so long and been in the middle of things and like created this podcast in part to bridge the gap between the fandom and the the people who make the show and who work with the show, it it's just been hard for me to let go of that role, even when it was causing me a great deal of pain, which it definitely was. Yeah. <laughs> to parts of the break. Um, but like, I'm... I'm nervous, right? We are recording these before anyone else sees the episodes. We only have our reactions to go on. And I'm I'm really grateful for that because I don't know if I could do this. <laughs> I don't know if I could do this and jump in again if we didn't have time to process these, just the two of us, before everyone else's opinions and feelings. And, I mean, I, all of that were in the mix, because it can be really hard to it can be really hard to ignore that. It can be really hard to focus on what for me, it can be really hard for me to focus on what I feel when there are so many other strong emotions present. And I think to do this show openly and honestly, which we did in season four, and which I loved, like I'm so proud of what we did in season four. To do that, there has to be a certain amount of distance. We have to be processing honestly and openly and independently in the moment. It's hard to do. It's hard to do when there's other stuff, other people having... It is hard to do. Yeah, reactions. I mean, I'm going to just continue to do what is healthy for me, and I'm probably honestly not going to read too many people's reactions Yeah, and whatnot this season because I'm just not interested. No offense to anybody, but I'm just not because people are, have just been mean. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they got death threats. Regardless of their opinion, people have been, people have been mean to people who liked the the episode people have been mean to people who didn't like the episode it's been very back and forth um so i just feel like you know if if you don't want to watch the show or if you're gonna watch it just to hate on it like just don't like i don't care like you're putting yourself through that and keeping negativity in your life and i feel like you know like that's their choice so i'm not going to read the negative comments yeah you're making a choice not to engage with it Mm -hmm. and i think that's a healthy choice i honestly it's one that i struggle with um i don't know i hate that i give a shit what people think it's less about other people than about me right like i i hate that i care so much what people think of me um and it's it is hard 
Yeah, and I mean, it's not even that I want everyone to like me because I'm too much of an asshole to, like, <laughs> think that's realistic. <laughs> I'm too uh, sharp-edged. Um, but it does matter to me to feel understood, and I know that's, like, its own form of immaturity. Like, I, I know that people aren't going to understand me no matter how much I explain myself, and the more I engage with it and try to, like, make them see me the way I see me or the way I want to see myself, the more I feel shitty. I know that, like, what I need to do is just trust in trust in my belief and recognize that, like, they're going to feel about me the way they're going to feel about me, and that's okay, but it's fucking hard. Oh, it definitely is hard. I mean, it is hard to stay away from comments, like, mm-hmm. especially, like, people reacting to, like, even our episodes, like, people negatively reacting to, like, the last podcast we did last season with with Olivia and Mm. Lev. People just, like, tore that shit apart. And so it was really hard not to read those comments. Um, But I feel like having learned from that, I'm going to try my best to stay away from reading what other people have to say. Hashtag same. I mean, really, the, I, I feel the same way. I realized at various points last, like, over the hiatus that I, it was like a form of self-harm, right? Like, I was going on, I think partly because I was afraid of what people were saying, but I would go on and I would look for it. And then when I found it and it made me feel just as shitty as I thought it would or worse. I, like, I don't know what it was. Mm-hmm. I, it, it was just, yeah, it, it felt like a form of self-harm, like addictive in that same way. Yes. All right. So accountability buddies. It is pretty hard. <laughs> but yeah, accountability buddies. Uh, rule one of the internet, don't read the comments. Yep. <laughs> Never Google yourself. <laughs> what was that? I said, never Google yourself. It's like (laughs) more for, you know, actors and stuff, but, you know. Well, my voice is giving out. (laughs) So on that lovely note of don't Google yourself, don't read the comments, Claire's voice is dying. I think we've come to the end of our show. Listeners, thank you for joining us. If you liked this episode, you can subscribe online wherever you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter or Facebook at Physical Kids Pod. Bye. Bye. Mind slide. Accountability butter.